Before we get to today's episode, I'd just like to ask if you can please follow our social media accounts on Instagram, YouTube, and Twitter at College Hockey Talk for all updates on college hockey and this podcast. Also, follow our Spotify account and subscribe to our Apple Podcast page and leave a rating and review. Doing these things helps our podcast grow, helps new people find us, and I would really appreciate it if you did those things. It means a lot. Make sure you also follow our new TikTok account at College Hockey Talk for clips from this podcast. Enjoy today's episode. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of College Hockey Talk. On today's podcast, I'm joined by a very special guest, former Boston University captain and Beanpot winner, Reagan Rust. You can catch Reagan on our podcast, Unpaid Path, where Reagan talks to different female athletes about their road to their success and their stories as well. A few months ago, she had former BU hockey player Victoria Bach on her podcast. It was a great episode, so check out the podcast uh, when you get the chance. But welcome to my podcast, Reagan, and how's everything going? It's going great. I can't complain. I was just telling you about the puppy that I got accepted to get, so I'm feeling pretty good. That's awesome, and I'm glad to hear that news. I guess, like, what have you been up to lately, and how have you been handling the pandemic for a year so far? So I probably have had one of the crazier pandemic times because I've moved around so much. Um, At the very beginning of the pandemic, I was in Boston, then I moved to San Diego. And then from San Diego, I went and played pro hockey for a couple months in Budapest. And so moved across the country, then across the world, then back to California. And now I'm in Minneapolis working. Um, I'm a full-time coach. And yeah, I've just been exploring since I got here. That's awesome. What's Minneapolis like, especially since it's the state of hockey? Cold. It's, mm-hmm. it's very cold, especially compared to California. When we first moved in, it was, I believe, negative 25 degrees outside. And oh, wow. so I was moving from like 60 degree weather, sunny every single day, and then it was cloudy every single day. Thankfully, it's sunny. But when I first got here, it was rough. Hockey's yeah. great, though. Yeah, that's good. No, no, that's the one good thing. That's what that makes up for the weather is how good the hockey is in Minnesota. I guess like San Diego mm-hmm. is like, I heard it's the nicest place to live in America. Is that true from your experience just because of the weather? I would have to say yes. It's probably one of my favorite places I've ever lived. Um, and like my family is from Southern California. So I've never actually got to live there. So it's like all my extended family, aunts and uncles. Um, and the beaches are nice. Uh, we had a beach view from our apartment. We could just drive, go get a smoothie, and then drive along the coast, which was unreal. And then Coronado Beach is, like, right over. So, like, all the nice houses you can go look at. So, yeah, I would have to say it's one of the nicest cities. I know. It's awesome. I guess, like, everyone I've heard says the weather is, like, it's never too, like, cold there. It's also never, like, too warm there as well. It's, like, a perfect mm-hmm. mixture. So I've always wanted to go to San Diego just for the beaches just because I, I like to explore those type of areas. Yeah. And it's like a smaller city. It's, it's similar to Boston. Um, like LA is a lot like New York city, but Boston is a lot like San Diego. So that's why it was like nice to adjust to that. Now playing in Budapest, uh, what's the situation like in Europe? Because it's a little bit different than America when it comes to the pandemic. Cause I know some places are doing like a herd immunity where you don't like have to wear a mask. They just want people to get Mm -hmm. it so they can just move on from it. Yeah. That is so crazy to me. Um, but so all the California was completely locked down. And then when I went to Budapest, everything was open. 
the bars were open, the restaurants were open, indoor, nobody was wearing masks, nobody was social distancing. So I was like, eee, this is kind of iffy, like how many cases are there right now? Um, and then I'd say about a month in, the cases started to spike. Like it went from 50 to 5,000 in like a couple days. And I was like, ooh, this might not be good. And then the whole country shut down and all the bars closed, all the schools shut down, like everything happened again. And I was like, okay, I think it's, that's my call to go home. Mm -hmm. And so I didn't end up playing the whole season there. I think they finished it out and they actually won the season. But, you know, like for me, it wasn't worth it to just be stuck in there, potentially getting COVID or like being quarantined, anything like that. Yeah, no, what's the city like, though? I know they have that, that great song by George Irza, Budapest. That's the only thing you can think of when I think of that city. That's the only thing you think of? Oh, my yeah. goodness. Well, there's so much more to Budapest than just that song, because he's not even from Budapest. I think he's Belgian or something. Oh, really? Um, yeah, but it is a really beautiful city. I, I loved exploring it with my teammates, because I actually went with one of my old BU teammates, um, Tash Tarnowski, and... Um, we had a blast. We had got to go to wine country, which is like, it's called the Valley of Beautiful Women, which has literally a dollar glass wines. And so you just walk around this huge cul-de-sac. It has probably like 50 houses in it, but like all cellars deep under. And so that was super pretty. And like, just honestly taking trains to the countryside as well too. So the whole country I love. Definitely. I hope to visit, like I said, visit Europe one day. But right now, um, as an American, you really can't go anywhere but America just because of the whole border situation. But like mm -hmm. I said, hopefully soon. Now, I kind of want to start off this podcast talking about like the beginning of your hockey career to now. So you're from Mississippi. I guess what's it like growing up there and how did you start playing hockey? Because Mississippi isn't really known for hockey. Yeah. So... <laughs> Everyone thinks that I was born on a farm, and that is just not the case. There were 60,000 people in my town, so it's, like, not super tiny, but it's also not really big. Um, and my aunt actually got us into hockey because there was a semi-pro team, and they're now the SPHL, but I think the team folded, and they were called the Memphis River Kings at the time. And we started going, I think we were about four, and my sister was there as well. And then we got super close to the players. And one day they came out to us and like, hey, we're going to be starting um, a new rec league. You guys should come. There's going to be so many girls. And when my sister and I showed up, it was my sister, myself, and one other girl, and then like 30 little boys. Um, but they coached us for a couple of years. And then we stayed in Mississippi until we were about like 10, then started playing in Nashville, um, girls hockey. And then we started playing triple A hockey in Pittsburgh and we really traveled all around the country just to play. That's awesome. And what's the hockey scene like in Mississippi, especially the women's hockey scene as well? Women's hockey scene is non-existent. <laughs> there was a few of us that started out together. So I'd say there were about five of us that were traveling to Nashville to play for a girls double A team back in the day. And other than that, we were playing with guys 24 seven, but we only had one rink to share between the pro team, the college teams, the travel teams, the rec teams, the beer league teams, everything. So it was a lot to manage. Definitely. Definitely. I guess who was your favorite player growing up? Oh my goodness. Um, Derek Landmesser and Don Parsons. You don't know them probably, but those are the guys that actually got us into hockey. So I looked up to them. They were both captains on the Memphis River Kings and 
Um, they're some of my favorite people to watch. But, you know, like looking back now, I was, it's funny. I actually found a picture of me with my coach from BU when she was on the Olympic team for Team Canada, which is bad. I like go Team USA, but like at that time, she took a picture with me and I was like, yeah, she's probably one of my new favorite players. And that was Tara Washhorn. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, she's the assistant coach now too, which is cool to see. I guess yeah. like, um, before, yeah, and you played for the Pittsburgh Penguins elite program. I guess, how'd you get the opportunity to play there being from Mississippi? So my best friend and I, her name's Kyla Floresca. She played at Conn College and we went to Flyers together and then we went to Penn's Elite together. So our parents were driving us to Pittsburgh every other weekend to play, which was like a 12 hour drive there, 12 hours back. Um, and we tried out our seventh grade year and we made, we both made the cut. And so then we just started playing with them. And I think both of us stuck it out with them through like our senior year, except for minus like one or two years. Mm, definitely. I guess like how'd you adjust uh, being far away from home at such a young age? Yeah. So I actually didn't leave home until about 15, but I was one of those kids that always liked adventure and like, I wasn't a homebody whatsoever. Like I loved meeting new people. And so going to prep school, I think that helped me adjust a lot more because there's people that were also in the same boat as me. And I was living with my team. So we were always there to talk to each other. And I think like having that little community really helped. Now thinking about your days with the Pittsburgh Penguins elite program, what was your favorite memory with that? Chocolate chip pancakes before game day. Um, so when we would drive up, because like there were so many expenses for us to get there, a lot of the families would tell us that like we could stay at their houses, which was super nice. And so I'll give a shout out to Elena Trice and the Trices because they always housed us and her mom would make these chocolate chip pancakes before every tournament we have in Pittsburgh or like any practice. And they're literally my favorite pancakes of all time. So definitely one of my favorite memories. That's awesome, I guess. Do you, do you still eat those before game days yourself now? So I did at prep school and then actually, yeah, I did it at BU too because we would do breakfast at T. Anthony's. Have you heard of that place? No, I haven't. Oh my gosh. Highly recommend you go. Pretty good food. Um, but I would get the big breakfast there with chocolate chip pancakes and <laughs> it's definitely not an athlete's breakfast, but like it worked for me. So I loved yeah. it. Whatever works, I guess. That's how I view it, you know? Like, some people mm -hmm. like to – like, Tom Brady likes to have avocados, like, before Super Bowls, you know? And, like, I could definitely not do that. So, it depends, <laughs> no. like, whatever works for you, I guess. Yeah, definitely. Now, you also played for the National Sports Academy as well. I guess what was that experience like for you? It was so wild. So, there were 53 kids in our entire school. And it was a girls' hockey team, a boys' hockey team, some losers, and – maybe like one or two figure skaters and like some downhill skiers. But we were so close by the end of the year and it was a great experience because one, we got to train in the 1980 ring, like of all places, Miracle. Like that was one of my favorite movies growing up. So it was like a dream come true that way. And then two, we were super close, like I already mentioned. And like, there's still some of my best friends from that team. And then also we played like an NHL season. I think by the end of it, so like in league games, we were like 50, 23 and like five, something like crazy like that. But then we also had like tournament games outside of that. So it was about 90 something games by the end of it. 
That's awesome. I guess, how did you adjust to the type of schedule at such a young age? Because that's kind of a grind. Because I know talking to some other NHL players, they were saying like the biggest adjustment going from college to pros is how dealing with the grind of the schedule. Even though you love hockey, it's still kind of an adjustment because you have like a families and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I actually loved it. Um, I'm kind of a workhorse and like I love being able just to play hockey, especially back then coming from Mississippi. Like I was lucky if I could get on the ice once a week and so going from that to five days a week I'm like yo this is sick like obviously we were all tired by the end of it but it was still like I wouldn't have traded that training for anything because like we were going through it together now what is losing is that the thing where you go in the box and like they shove you down the hill uh yeah no it's a it's like the single I think it's there's like bobsled and then losing so like I'm pretty sure it's somewhat like the skeleton too, where like you just lay on the sled and then go straight down. Um, That's cool. At intense speeds. Yeah, no, I didn't know they had schools for illusion, to be honest with you. That's pretty sick. Yeah, one of the guys, his name's Tucker West. I'm not, I'm pretty sure he's still competing with Team USA, but at the time he was like one of the best in the world when he was at prep school with us. And then we had like, I'd say at least 10 D1 commits at the time. And like one of them was Kylie Flanagan who won a gold medal with Team USA. And then another one, she just made like the Team USA team, um, I think for Worlds, Savannah Harmon. Have you oh yeah, I've had her on the podcast. Yeah, so she was also at the prep school when we were doing all of that. So really good players there. Did you get the mm-hmm. chance to try the luge at all? No, definitely not. We weren't even, I'm pretty sure we had like a contract where it says we couldn't even go skiing. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah, so we had to be very careful about not getting injured. Yeah, no, that's, that's, I thought I would definitely try it though one day, like after like school, like if mm-hmm. once I'm graduated, like everything's all set, I'll just try it one time because I feel like that's super fun just to go down in a hill in a box and like super yeah. fast speeds because I've seen some of the Olympic clips of like bobsledding and luging and it looks so mm-hmm. much fun. It looks fun, but, like, knowing how dangerous it is, that's what scares me. <laughs> yeah, I know. But, like, if you have a helmet and, like, all the equipment on, I feel like you would be most most of the time fine. Yeah. All right. You do it, and then let me know how it goes, and then I'll all think right, about I'll that. I'll let you know after. <laughs> okay. Now, how did those experiences uh, with National Sports Academy and with the Pittsburgh Penguins Elite Program help you prepare for college hockey with Boston University and RIT? I... I would say my 10th grade year was one of my biggest years for development. That was when I was at prep school because of like the schedule that we had and we were on the ice so much. And like I was playing with, I went from playing 14U to 19U in the span of like two months. And, you know, playing with those players, like even being on the third line, they, they pushed me so much. And I'd say that was like my biggest year for development. And then even playing with Penn's Elite, like, we got so much exposure playing in all these big showcases like in Boston or in Detroit or in Toronto and like all the college coaches were always there. So it helped immensely. And also we had like some really good coaches that uh, not only pushed us on the ice, but like they were advocates for us off the ice and would talk to coaches for us. Now, what was your recruitment process like and why did you choose to go to RIT originally? So I had a crazy recruiting story. I mean, I feel like they're all different, but I actually had no offers to go D1 until my senior year. And, you know, like I always wanted to go D1 because nobody from Mississippi had ever done it. And a lot of my family, like they told me to stop playing hockey. Um, 
because like there weren't many opportunities afterwards but like I knew I wanted to play and so I was going into my senior year so the Beantown tournament you heard of it yes yeah I played in that and the game that I played my coach was like hey um, does any forward want to play defense like we're low on D and I was just like, yeah, I'll play. Like, I love defense way better than forward. But, like, my mom always forced me to be a forward because she was like, you need to score the goals. It's like, dude, I can't score the goals. Like, put me back on defense. <laughs> and so that game, I was, like, a super offensive defenseman. Like, and the RIT coaches were like, oh, we always watch the Canadian teams. Like, we should go watch some American teams that we normally don't get to see. So they actually came to my game, and they saw me being super offensive. And they went to go talk to my coach afterwards. And he was like – yeah, she could play both positions. He just like started selling me. <laughs> and then they DM'd me on Twitter. I still have the Twitter thread. It cracks me up every time I look at it. But that was my one and only offer and to like go play D1. So I took it. They DM'd you on Twitter? That's crazy. Yeah, I know. I was like, is this a real school? Like whose coach is this? <laughs> well, that's awesome. I can't imagine like just getting a DM from like, a random coach and be like, Hey, do you want to play D1 college hockey? Like that's, that's, I've never heard. That's really cool. Actually. <laughs> yeah. I could show you the Twitter thread after, but yeah, it wasn't much. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. What are they saying? The DM like, hi, this is, I don't know who the coach was for IIT at the time, but it was Scott uh, McDonald. Yeah. What, what um, then? You know, it probably wasn't legal. I have no idea like how the messaging worked, but he, just said, hey, we saw you play. Like, we were very impressed by your skill set and um, would love to jump on the phone with you. Like, good luck in the rest of the tournament. Let me know how it goes. Yeah. So. Now the recruiting process is, like, it's insane, insanely strict because you can't talk to players by a certain age. You can only talk to mm-hmm. their coaches. You can only email them. You can only have a certain amount of official visits. So I think it's changed a lot uh, since you've done it, I, from my understanding. Yeah. And even before me, like it changed a lot leading up to the time I started doing official visits because a lot of the times um, I know like my friend Blake Bolden, she would have to pay to go on her official visit. So like she's like, no, I'm not coming to visit. And like the coaches would go to her. Mm-hmm. So now like I think it's nice that they actually are able to fly you out to like go see a school and stay for at least a day or two. Um, because I think like that's huge, like being able to actually see the school. Now, how did you deal with the adversity of, I guess, not getting that many offers and being the first person from Mississippi to play D1 hockey? So it was super heartbreaking. Like, I was obviously, like, I'm one of those people that I cheer for my friends, like, no matter what. But at the same time, I was like, dang, where are all these coaches at? Like, why are they getting these offers? And, like, I'm not, like, I feel like I'm doing really well. Like, I'm leading the team with like points and stuff but like I'm still not getting any leadway on coaches so it was like a real mental battle for the two years leading up to getting recruited um but you know like I wouldn't change the way that my recruiting story went because like it's my story versus like someone else's and it's just like about having a good mindset like if you want it you're gonna get it and keep putting that out into the universe now, what was the biggest adjustment you had to make to college hockey? The speed, for sure. Um, because you're playing with these girls that are, like, four years older than you, 22. Some are, like, I had a girl on my team my freshman year that was 24 or something like that. And so 
you know, they're a lot better than you. And like, they see the game a lot differently and like, they've already been adjusted. So I think that, and like meeting all your new teammates and like being like one of those little freshmen, like you don't want to make a mistake. Um, those are some of the hardest adjustments. Now you got to play in the CHA conference. Uh, what was it like playing in there? Because it's obviously one of the smaller conferences in women's college hockey. And um, it's obviously a, a pretty decent conference in my opinion too. I think it doesn't get enough credit that it deserves. Yeah, it was actually so much fun because I did have friends on like every single team. Like a lot of my Penn's Elite friends started playing for like Penn State or RMU or Syracuse. And so any battle was, it was like a friendly battle, but like you obviously still wanted to win. And it was fun just being able to travel on the weekends because, you know, the difference between the CHA is that most teams are like three to four hours away. So like you need to spend the night there. And with Boston, like, driving five minutes down the road to go play like BC or Northeastern. Um, and so like the league itself is kind of more of like a grinder league. Like they are just workforces too. So like they put their heads down and get to work, like dump and chase, like all that stuff. There's still like some skilled players, but a majority of it is like the grinders and like winning games the hard way. How did you adjust to those long road trips, especially to Mercyhurst? I feel like that's like a five or six hour bus trip. I think that's like our shortest one. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. Good geography wise. So my... No, it's okay. Um, no, Syracuse is definitely our shortest one. So that one's like an hour away. Penn State was like four hours. Um, Mercyhurst was three and then four to Pittsburgh. As uh, well. nice. Four or six. What's the best bus story you have? Oh. <laughs> okay. I have two, but obviously the freshmen singing karaoke, like that's hilarious. Mm-hmm. That maybe may be frowned upon but like it's all in good spirits and nobody's like making fun of you so it's like fun to put the headphones in and sing the songs um and then (laughs) i don't know why but this one time our bus driver was like he kept getting lost in the parking lot like we literally could not get out of the parking lot because he didn't know which way to exit and it took him 15 minutes like we were almost late for our game because of him so he did that twice oh wow I have to see that parking lot. I don't know. That's like the, that's like the first part of like not getting lost is managing to get out of the parking lot. Literally. That's what I'm saying. That's why it's so funny to me. What song did you sing for your karaoke? I think I sing. It was either high school musical or Justin Bieber. Yeah. Something like that. Justin Bieber is a decent karaoke song, especially one time. Mm -hmm. I feel like that would be good. Yeah. I did that one in high school. (laughs) Are you a good singer yourself? No, absolutely oh. not. Oh. But I love to sing. Like, I'll sing yeah. for you. No, I'm not going to sing. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's good. You know, as long as you just enjoy doing it. That's how my thing is. Like, if it doesn't matter how good are you good you are at something, just enjoy doing it. So, so yeah. that's my opinion. Like, I'm an awful singer. I will never sing in front of anybody, but I'll definitely will admit that I do it in private occasionally. I do it in private. Yeah, I feel that. Now, in your first year with RIT, you lost to Penn State in the playoffs. What did you overall take away from your first college hockey playoff experience? Is it bad that I don't really remember that game? No, it's not a problem at all. (laughs) Okay, because I was like – college felt like eight years for me because I went to two different schools. Mm -hmm. Um, But I do remember – I don't remember who scored, but I remember I was pumped that we were moving on to the next round. because we that was my sophomore year, right? So your freshman year, you lost to Penn State in the CHA playoffs, and then you got revenge against Penn State the following year, yeah. uh, your sophomore year. And I was going to ask you that next question, like how did you feel 
to get revenge against that team. And what emotions were you feeling getting, getting your first playoff win? Oh, I do remember that. I actually cried after the first in my, my freshman year. I went and cried in my mom's arms afterwards. So I was like, <laughs> I was just, I don't even know the emotions that were going through my head. I'm like a super competitive person. So like losing that game sucked. Like I really wanted to win a championship, like especially a CHA championship. Um, and then the second year, whenever we were playing in Buffalo, like that was a blast just because, you know, it's like another team experience that you get to go in a hotel room. It's kind of like when you're younger and traveling around and playing hockey, like same thing for us and like eating breakfast together. Um, but beating them was icing on the cake. It was really nice to do. So after your sophomore year with RIT, you transferred to Boston University. Why did you want to transfer and what was that process like for you? So I wanted to transfer because one, like I wanted to live in Boston once I graduated because like I knew the business market was super good there. And two, like I wanted more competition, um, better teams that like had different styles of play. So I ended up asking for my release, had no idea where I was going to go after that. Um, but then I talked to like one of my old team managers and she put me in contact with Merrimack. Merrimack said that they would give me like $5,000 for the school, which if you know Merrimack's prices is literally nothing. And so I was like, all right, that one's crossed off the list. Let's find another D1 school. Mm -hmm. um, because I knew I wanted to keep playing D1, but I also knew like school is super expensive. So especially for me at RIT with how like the scholarships work, I was only on academic and financial aid. Um, so like I wouldn't be able to afford paying like the prices I was at in college. And then one of my freshman year coaches from high school, she actually knew the assistant coach at BU and then she put me in contact with them and had a few phone calls with them, sent over some footage, stats, all of that. And they were willing to offer me scholarship. And I was like, actually, like you want to offer me scholarship to your school? Um, and so like I ended up getting a full ride, which was unreal. I was super especially thankful for that. Yeah, especially like, you know, RIT was one of like bottom five teams and then going to like a top 10 team like that was like such a great feeling. Yeah, even scholarship wise, like BU's one of the most expensive colleges. I don't know in America, but definitely in Boston, like I've seen the prices, like it's like 50 grand a year, I think, which is crazy. I think it's number two. Oh, really? It's, it's gotta be like top 15 for sure. But like for some, for some reason, I feel like it's number two most expensive because yeah. overall it's like with the tuition and the housing and the food and all of that, it comes out to like 70 K something. Yeah, no, I don't know what it is with Massachusetts, but we have like really expensive colleges. Like even the state schools, like I could go to like other state schools in other States and pay less than going to like, yeah, which is crazy to me. Mm -hmm. Isn't UMass Amherst kind of expensive too? Yeah, UMass Amherst is the one I was talk referencing. Like that's really oh, expensive. Yeah. And like I could go to like Arizona State and pay less than mm -hmm. going to UMass Amherst, which I think is crazy for an in-state yeah. person. Like you should pay Seriously. less. But yeah, I guess that's the way it is. But I, I, I always thought like I always was curious like why mass colleges are so expensive. I don't know, man. It's probably the taxes. Probably. <laughs> like, probably. So how'd you adjust, I guess, going from a smaller campus like RIT to a bigger city campus like Boston University? I, you know, I didn't adjust very well. Um, I've moved around a lot. So like I went to five high schools and like going to my second university, I was like, okay, I can handle this. And 
RIT actually had like 15,000 students on campus, but it was like a smaller field because like we weren't in a city and then going to BU, like I think it was super nice that I was able to do summer school because nobody was on campus at that time besides like athletes and some kids taking like summer classes. And so I kind of got a feel for the city then, but at the very beginning it was pretty lonely because, you know, being a transfer student, I didn't know anyone at the school. Um, and so like I had to make friends through like all my classes and like with my teammates and meeting other athletes, but the adjustment overall was pretty tough for me. Like I had a lot of mental health, like I started meeting with a therapist for it and you know, the school was super receptive to me um, taking a few days off for classes and just like adjusting. So very grateful for them for being so understanding. And when did you like fully adjust to the campus, I guess? I'd say probably in October, which I know it seems like a long time, but I did both summer terms there. So like not everyone was on campus yet. And so like there wasn't like the real feel to it. But then when we started back up, like beginning of September, um, so like I had that full month and then October time I was like, full go because obviously the season started and you know I was really comfortable with my teammates at that time. And what's it like to play under coach Brian DeRocher and does he still call you on your birthday? He does actually. Someone <laughs> told me that I just had to let you know. <laughs> he is the best man ever like he's one of those people that like we all look up to and like we all obviously really respect but I have said this so many times that he is the reason why the program is so awesome, why the alumni are so amazing. Like I could call up any alumni from BU Women's Hockey over the past, what has it been, like 15 years since it started, and they would happily take my call. Like he's developed that kind of culture. And, you know, I really respected that about him because, you know, at RIT, it was like a little bit different culture where, you know, some alumni didn't like coming back or they wouldn't answer the phone call. But there it was like just completely different yeah no Rebecca Leslie was telling me it's like yeah after every birthday I still get a phone call from BD so I, I had to ask you if like that if he still does that for you yeah he did it like a couple weeks ago when it was my birthday and mm. you know like one of my favorite memories with him was I had just finished my two months of summer school there like my first year and I think like I told him at the at the end of May, I was like, yeah, like I'm going to be driving to Pittsburgh for my friend's 21st birthday. And he called me on the day I was driving there. He was like, Hey Reagan. I was like, what's up coach? Like what's going on? He's like, nothing. I was just like, I was wondering if you made your trek to Pittsburgh yet. And I was like, how did you remember that? Like I told you that in passing. <laughs> like, he's just the greatest man ever. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. And you played in Hockey East as well. What was playing in that conference like? Because it's obviously a much larger conference and the bus trips are much shorter, which is why I prefer Hockey East because I'm a Hockey East guy. Yeah, it's, so, it's honestly so nice. Like Boston is a sports town and I think like that's what's so special about it. Like on the ice again, you know how I was saying I had friends in the CHA. I also had friends in the Hockey East and so like Anytime we were out like to a restaurant or a bar or something like we would see some of our friends from the other teams and you know like it's cool to have that and like you can talk crap to them but like who owns Boston it's like the bean pot which was like the best part like I know that's not considered hockey east but you know it's considered like four no three of the whatever eight. 12, how many teams are in hockey? I don't even know. 10 in women's college hockey and yeah. 12 in men's hockey. 
because men's yeah. hockey says like uh, UMass who doesn't have a women's hockey team and UMass. Oh not. yeah, true. So the Battle of Boston was always so much fun. Like that's literally the best time of year. And um, you know, it's like super competitive games because every game is a rivalry. Like nobody's not your rival in the tournament and or like the tournament play and stuff like that. So it's it's so much fun, especially like how fast some of the players are. Like, you know, I remember my my senior year, I got scored on five times my first game against Northeastern. And I was like, all right, sweet. I love this for me. <laughs> we lost five zero, but we came back the next time. So, you know, it just like it goes to show that no matter like how well you do one get one game doesn't matter about the next game. Like it just matters who shows up that day. It's kind of coin on that Northeastern team because if she was, I would understand if the five goals were scored. No, she wasn't, but the Patty Casimir winner this year was. So. Oh, yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. It's hard to score on her from what I've heard. Yeah. <laughs> now, um, in your first year with BU, you lost to Maine in the hockey's playoffs. Talk about what you remember from that series and the emotions you felt because that was a grind of a series. It was three games, and you lost the last game in overtime. Yeah, so – like we lost the first game, I'm pretty sure. And I was like, this is going to be a rough one. Um, and then the second game, we battled it back. And I'm like, all right, now we're getting pumped. And then I remember walking out of the hotel to the third game. The BU band actually showed up. And they drove five hours just to come play music for us. And I was like, yo, this is like what it's all about. And it, like that got me amped up. And then we started in the play. And... I think we were off like three goals in the third mm-hmm. and then they battled back and we lost an OT and I was like, that was just pathetic. Like that mm-hmm. was, I can't believe we let them come back. Um, so it was heartbreaking. Tears definitely fell and I didn't get a chance at winning hockey. So <laughs> I was upset. Yeah. But was it like an adjustment playing in a series versus a single elimination format like the CHA had? Not really. Like, I think at the end of the day, it just comes down to mentality. Like, we play games every single every single weekend. So it's, like, no different than playing two games on the weekend. Um, it's actually kind of nice, to be honest with you, because it actually shows, like, who, I, who is the better team, like, who's going to battle back mentally. Um, and so I liked it. I like both ways, honestly. And your team improved significantly from your junior to your senior year. What did your team work on to make those improvements and have the better record your senior year? My senior year, there were three captains. I was one of them. Tash was one of them. And then Sammy Davis was also one. And our big thing was like, okay, we want to win a bean pot. We want to create a culture that lasts. And it's just about working hard because, you know, the year before, our sheet had like some of the best players on it. We had Jesse Comfort, we had Rebecca Leslie, we had Victoria Bach and like some of the leading scores in the country. Yet we weren't winning as many games as we should have been. And so the next year we had to focus on basically working as a team. And so like everyone had to know their role, everyone had to do it correctly and everyone had to be a goal scorer. Like you didn't get an option of not being a goal scorer. Like whoever scored, we were happy about. Um, and so one of the culture things that we did was the three captains, we would meet with um, the leadership Academy director and like walk us through how to lead the teams, 
how to lead meetings with the teams and like how to figure out what we want to accomplish. So we did a lot, a lot of meetings and just like team bonding too. Like we were a very, very close team, I would say. And, you know, I think that's why we were able to win a bean pot. Were you more of a vocal or lead by example type of player? Because I feel like Sammy Davis was telling me that she was kind of like a lead by example type of player. So were you more vocal? She is definitely lead by example. I am, I would say I'm a little bit of both. Um, and then I would say Tash is both as well. She's like super vocal. Um, and so finding the right time to speak was probably one of the hardest things for us. And when to amp up the team and when not to amp up the team. Um, and then, yeah, for me, like on the ice, I just, I always just wanted to be a shutdown defenseman. Like that was my number one goal. Now let's talk a little bit about the bean pot. Uh, what was it like being a player in that setting and atmosphere? Because um, being from Boston myself, it's the best Tuesdays and Mondays of the year just because yep. the whole city's amped. It's like our little thing. Like no one other mm-hmm. states and other cities don't get it but us. So that's why I really enjoyed the bean pot. What was it like being a player and setting in that atmosphere? And when did that really set in for yourself because you, you weren't from New England? Okay, so bean was always a dream for me. Um, I loved it. I, I probably started thinking about it like in middle school. I'm like, oh, man. If I go to any other D1 school, I won't get this opportunity. And then, you know, luck of the draw, I got to go to BU and play in it. And so, like, the first year, we had heard all of the all the stories about how we were cursed <laughs> to, like, not win the beatbox. And, you know, it's like, the stories range from, like, smashing. Like, they had this little um, ceramic bean pot. And it was just like, they would bring out every single year. And one year they're like, okay, we keep losing. Let's just smash the pot. Like, let's get rid of this thing. And they smashed the pot and lost like nine zero. And that was when like Poulin was on the team. Yeah. And so it was a really bad game. And so we heard those stories and we're like, okay, like this year's going to be different. And we beat Harvard my junior year in the first round. And the second round, we were down 2-0 going into the first. And I've never seen... Brian DeRocher scream, but he came in upset. Um, he came in up pretty upset. And so we battled back that period. And I think we ended up going up by one. So it was 3-2 going to the third. And we held that till about 10 minutes. Um, we drew, you know, we got a penalty. They scored and then we went to OT. Then we got another penalty and they scored on that. I was on the ice. I cried for that one too. As you can tell, I'm pretty emotional when it comes to sports. Um, but like the atmosphere is awesome. Like I think it was a lot better at Harvard because it was a smaller rink. So like for me, I actually wanted to go to Harvard when I was 10 years old. I made like a 10 year plan. Didn't end up going to Harvard, but I was thankful that we were able to play there. And you know, that first game against Northeastern, like we hadn't beat Northeastern in my time there. So I was like, this is going to be super tough. Um, but it was like one-to-one each goal. And then OT was like, like, oh my goodness, what's about to happen? And then the shootout was insane. Um, and then the championship game was just so wild. Like all three of us captains scored. Um, and so like, that was pretty amazing. And like Sammy's overtime goal. Oh my gosh. Like we couldn't even describe the feeling to you. It was so much fun um, because like, all of the athletes showed up, like coaches got buses to bring their teams over to Harvard and like the, the BU band showed up too. So it was really special. Yeah. Now I was going to ask you, like, did you learn anything from the first beanpot experience when you lost to BC and how'd you take that experience for the next year? Yeah. 
I think like one thing I learned is what you do in the locker room in between, because, you know, you may win a period, but the next period you may lose it. And I would say in the championship game, we went in after the second period against Harvard and we're like, all right, like we're playing super well, but it was still a two, two game. I was like, guys, like we have to win this period or we're not winning the game. Like we got to keep our heads in the game. You guys may be amped up now, but you need to stay focused and on like the task at hand. Yeah, definitely. And when Brian DeRocher was yelling at you, how scared were you from a one to 10, especially because you've never said you never experienced that before. I don't think I was scared. I was like, yeah, we are sucking right now. Like we should not be losing 2-0 in a championship game right now. So I, I think I got pretty amped up. I was like, let's go. And then I was like a super vocal person that way where I was always cheering on the team. And so like whatever I could to do to like keep positive energy, like that was my thing. Now, Sammy Davis scored that overtime winner goal. What emotions were going through your head after winning your first bean pot? I was like, this isn't real. Because <laughs> I'm like, we had one of the greatest teams ever back with like the Poulin era when they went to the Frozen Four like two or three years in a row. And I was like, there's no way that we just won this. Mm-hmm. Like our team, no offense to our team, like I love them to death, but like we were not the best players in the city to win that so um we were the best team which was super amazing and so i think it was just it was it was an unreal feeling we like we really couldn't believe it we celebrated for a very long time after the fact and we still celebrate it (laughs) that's awesome you're in the hall of fame right (laughs) yeah yeah that's awesome that's cool no problem congratulations on that and i guess like how do you adjust playing the beanpot games then going back to a hockey series because that's always the thing with those boston schools like like, I'm a, I'm a UConn hockey fan, so I always love playing the mm-hmm. Boston schools right after the Beanpots. Like, we're going to get them. This is a trap game. This is awesome. How do you adjust to that? Because I was just curious about that. So, I won't lie to you. I feel like after we won the Beanpot, I think that we lost mm-hmm. our energy um, because we had focused so much on winning that trophy. And, you know, I think we were just really tired after that. It, like, it takes a lot out of you because, like, the energy, the adrenaline, all of that. And so, like, going in and playing, I don't even know, like, the next weekend was pretty tough. And, like, even in Hockey East series, like, we were just tired. And so I think one thing for the future BU players is just not to get too caught up with the bean pot, even though it's, like, it is our national championship. It's, like, Boston's national championship. Um, yeah. yeah. It's just there's a lot of emotions that go into it. So it's – definitely going to pull yourself out of it. You did beat UNH in the hockey's playoffs though, your senior year. Uh, what do you remember from that series? And what was it like in your first uh, hockey's playoff win, especially after what happened the previous year with Maine? <laughs> what do I remember most? It's probably getting smoked in the head and having to get 15 stitches oh. um, in my ear. <laughs> so I got hit with like a, a one-timer slab shot and I got like 15 stitches on the front and back of my ear. And so it was like, I guess it was a big block because we were up by one with three minutes left killing a penalty. So I got smoked in the ear and like I fell to the ground. So it felt good to win, but like when my coach and everyone was in the locker room, like everyone's screaming, cheering, but like I can't hear anything. Mm-hmm. Like I'm, my ears just throbbing, but I'm like, great job guys. Shot <laughs> that. Um, crap, I can't remember. Um, it wasn't one of my friends, but they told me who it was after. It's on TikTok, so you can check it out if you want. Awesome. I'll definitely have to check that out. 
And then you played your final college hockey game against your rivals, Boston College, in the semifinals. Uh, I guess, like, what emotions were you feeling after playing your final collegiate game? Because you guys kind of had a chance, it seems like, to make the tournament that year because you were 24-8. and eight. Yeah, we were – I'm pretty sure we were one. If we had a tie that had been a win throughout the season, we would have been getting that bid. Mm-hmm. So that was super heartbreaking. Um, and, like, that, that game, we just started off rough. We were not in it. Our heads weren't in the game. And, you know, we went into the third period. Like, my D partner, she was also a senior. There was only three of us at the time. And we both knew that that was our last period together and, like, our last period with the team. And so, like, it was really hard for us to stay in it. And um, I remember after the game, like, I kept my jersey on for – probably 30 to 45 minutes after the game and just like sat there in the stall. Probably cried. Mm-hmm. Definitely cried. <laughs> Definitely cried. You're asking about all the big games. So that's why I was crying. I don't cry in regular season games. Just FYI. All right. No, I'm just <laughs> curious. Cause those are the most memorable ones. So that's why I asked, have to ask about them. Yeah, Definitely. Now let's start off with let's do a little more positive. Let's go in a little more positive direction, I guess. Let's talk about some of the teammates you got to play with. So the first team I want to ask you about is Jesse Coffer. She's obviously was the captain last year with BU. She's one of the best uh, women's college hockey players I've ever seen play. What was it like being your teammate? So she's super funny. Um, she is a tank on the ice. I will say that. Like, I'm not going to say she's a grinder, but like she has grinder tendencies and is also super skilled at the same time. So she just works really hard and is skilled and can snipe and can basically do everything. Um, so it was really fun playing with her because like she was super competitive and like she did want to win and like she is a good leader. And it's crazy because, you know, she got to go play with Team USA at Worlds and like got to win a gold medal with them. Um, and so I put together a little video montage for her where it's just like everyone's saying like, congratulations. And so at first I was like, Oh, it's just going to be like her mom and dad and sister and brother. And then it's going to be like the BU teammates. Her mom set my number to all of her friends. And she, this girl has the most friends of anyone I've ever met. Like 200 people sent me a video. And I think it ended up being 15 minutes long. Mm-hmm. Like, that's crazy. You have a lot of friends if it's 15 minutes long. Yeah, no, my video would be like two minutes long. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, same. <laughs> but... No, and then you also got to play with Rebecca Leslie. I asked you about her because we had her on the podcast. Great person, but also a great hockey player as well. And I feel like she's super underrated because I feel like she definitely has a chance to make Team Canada for the Olympics next year. So I guess, like, what was it like being her teammate? And talk about the leadership she brought as well. Yeah, she was awesome. Um, I really enjoyed my time with her. Like, I looked up to her as a player and a person. Like, watching her and Victoria, like, work together was unreal because you don't get to play with like Olympic Olympic hopefuls every day um and you know she was one of those players that was just sneaky like she just got the job done and you like didn't notice it at first but then when she scored you're like wait was that Becca like she did that and like she's super good and like she reads the ice super well um and she's a really vocal leader so it was nice to have her in the locker room now the final teammate I want to ask you about is Sammy Davis one of my favorite players to watch, especially since what she went through uh, for her redshirt year after that injury. Talk about her as a teammate and just the adversity she went through and what she's doing now because it's awesome because apparently she's getting a doctorate at MGH, Mm -hmm. which is awesome. Yeah, she was a lot of fun to be around. She's also one of the lives of the party. Um, 
her dance moves are really funny and like she's a really hard worker on and off the ice like I don't know I'm one of those players that I will not do extra bike sprints because I know personally it will not help me it will only make me more tired but she's like who wants to go who wants to go do let's like go do a five mile run I'm like girl what are you doing like how are you managing to do this so like she was one of those people that always loved to do the extra work and like put in the work so I really respected that um and just like the way she always battled on the ice like she never gave up on pucks and you know even in practice sometimes she would go like lay out one of our teammates and be like all right that's that's a lot but um she did push the pace and I I really respected that about her and even just like being a leader she was someone that a lot of the girls could talk to so that was awesome so what's your thoughts on the BU team now and do you still go back and visit because it seems like this year's BU team is like a lot different uh than previous years because you're talking about the Poulin era then there was the Victoria Bach and Rebecca Leslie era and now I feel I don't know if Jesse Coffer is going to return for a fifth year but it seems like this is a brand new team with a lot of young faces yeah it's I actually I don't know a ton of the new girls. Like I follow them on Instagram, obviously, but like I haven't gone to talk to them because, you know, the first year I was out of college, I still lived in Boston. So I went to all the games. I knew all the players. I would hang out with them. Um, but then this year it's like with COVID, you, it's hard to like actually meet them. And it is a different era. Like um, that I don't know if there's any super big names on the team besides Jesse. Oh, like there's Schroeder too. She's a great goalie. Um, but other than that, it's like people that are really skilled hockey players that honestly, I would say most of them are underrated as well. Definitely, definitely. And talk about Washington this year because BU seems like have a lot of COVID problems because they've had a very kind of inconsistent schedule because of it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I've only watched a few games that they played. And I think it's it's super hard with like, playing and then not playing and then not playing and then playing and then not playing and not playing and then playing. So I think it's hard to get into a flow because, I mean, we had the same issue my senior year. I think we started off on a losing streak and then we picked it up once we got into a flow. So like six or whatever games in, we started really winning. Um, so I think it's, it's tough for them right now because of that, not being able to get into that flow. So we're now in the non-hockey segment of the podcast where I ask you some non-hockey questions. My first question to you is what music do you like to listen to? I like to listen to indie and pop. Nice. Who's your go-to artist? Oh, good question. I actually, before games, I know this isn't the hockey part, but I would listen to One Republic. Oh, and I nice. listen to them a lot. Yeah. I'm trying to think of a song by them, like that Good Life. Yeah. Is Fun fact. One? I uh, sang that in band in 10th grade Oh, nice, <laughs> with, nice. with Callie Flanagan. She was my, my co-singer. Oh, that's awesome. That's yeah. a small world. I didn't know. That's kind of cool. <laughs> yeah. No, like uh, I'm trying to think of any other indie artists. Like I'm not really, uh, I don't really listen to that type of, type of genre of music. I'm more of like a hip hop EDM country fan. Mm-hmm. So I guess like is Lumineers indie or am I just sound? Yeah, bad? I think they're indie. All right. That's what like I would consider indie, but you know. Yeah, you can go mm-hmm. either way. Now, if you could have lunch with anyone in the world, who would it be and why? Ooh, Serena Williams. Mm-hmm. She's sick. She's nice. like one of the greatest athletes of all time. So it would be awesome to have lunch with her. That's cool. 
And then my final, well, I guess my final non-cocky question to you is, who had the best style on the BU team besides yourself when you were there? Is it like off ice? Uh, both, on and off ice. On ice besides myself. Oh my goodness. I don't know. I don't like people that talk, so I just, I can't, I can't pick anyone. All right, maybe I'll pick Jesse. I'll give it to her. Yeah, or maybe the goalies. The goalies have sick pads, so I like that. That's cool. That's cool. Now, talk about doing a podcast, and I guess what made you want to start to do one? So I actually run a mentorship, which has about like 300 girls on it right now. And, you know, I started doing the podcast because a lot of them asked about my journey, and I was like, you know, I'm telling you my story, but there's also hundreds of other journeys of girls that like got to college or played pro or any of that. And so you should hear it too, because everyone's is, you know, specific to them. And so I started doing the podcast for the unpaved path just to showcase female athletes journeys through their sports and that like, you know, you have to own your own journey. Definitely. Well, um, I guess, how do you figure out which guests to have on? Cause I know you had Victoria Bach on, I'm trying to think you had some other, like you had a Merrimack hockey player on, you had Ray Shiro on a few days ago. I saw that. So I guess like, how do you, how do you decide which guests you're going to have on? So I go through my connections um, for the most part. And then a lot of my friends, like I know their stories and I'm like, it would be awesome for people to hear this. Like they should be showcased. And so, you know, one of my favorite ones was a few episodes in and her name was Jenna Radcliffe and she's from Oregon um, played Team USA roller hockey, has won so many world championships with them. She also played at RIT. She was a goalie there and played pro, all of that, engineer for the government right now. Like, just the most insane story. Like, who plays hockey in Oregon? You know, I guess it's like the same thing. Who plays hockey in Mississippi? But I loved her story. Um, so my guests are very random, and it's whoever I like. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, no, I guess like talk about doing the Victoria Bach one. What was it like reconnecting with her for after a few years? So I talk to her all the time, actually. She's like <laughs> one of my best friends. So um, I love chatting with her. We could literally talk for hours. Um, but hearing her story and just like the very beginning when she wasn't this great player, like is hilarious to me. She's like, yeah, I got this sheet back from one of my coaches when I was like 10. He basically gave me ones in all departments. And so it, she got a four out of 20 for skills and skating and all of that. And now I was like, you should give it back to her or give it back to that coach and like have him redo it now and see how good you've gotten since. That's awesome. That's a great story of adversity. You know, I kind of like the thing. That's the one reason why I like doing this podcast. I, I, I do both men and female athletes, but like, mm -hmm. I think it's cool to hear their stories and perspectives of like how they started. Like my favorite one that, I'm doing uh, that's going to be out soon is there's a guy who's from the town where I'm near and he played D3 high school hockey and he managed to all, make it all the way to D1 um, college mm -hmm. hockey with Maine so that's it's cool to hear their stories about that and see the adversity that people went through I think it's awesome and I think it helps other players get inspired to help uh, move their path into hockey or any other sport they might want to pursue yeah definitely I totally agree and it's fun like connecting with people on mm -hmm. podcasts like Normally you wouldn't get to talk to somebody for an hour, hour and a half straight, but with this you do. Yeah, definitely. It's kind of weird though. Cause I don't really have any like connections in like hockey. It's more just like just see DMing, like, yeah, DMing emailing, all that type of stuff. So yeah. see what happens. And I've been very fortunate enough to help grow this platform. So I appreciate it. Mm -hmm. No problem. 
do, do you have any advice to me of how I can get better for my podcast? Oh, advice. Um, you know, honestly, just getting out TikTok. Are you on there? I do have a TikTok. We have 40 followers, so I'm really trying to grow it as best I can. But one of our videos did do well. It was had 30,000 views. It was from a, it was a BU, BU video um, from the men's team. It was an overtime goal. So I guess like that, that was pretty cool to see, but I'm very bad at TikTok. I have no clue what I'm doing because I'm trying yeah. to, I'm not good with social media. I'm still learning, which is seems weird for a 19 year old kid to say that they're bad at social media, but I'm terrible. I have no clue. <laughs> I don't know how to post stuff. I don't know yeah, what the, the I right feel you. are. So mm-hmm. no, it's the same thing. I would say like short videos on TikTok, short videos on Instagram, like people love just being able to reshare valuable content or something that resonates with them usually it's like a like you can play into either the entertaining aspect the emotional aspect or the um like life lessons i guess you could say so yeah yeah, there's a lot of different ways you can take it that's awesome i guess like is there anything i could do to improve my interviewing skills as well um I don't know. That's a good question. I've never thought about that <laughs> at all, but I'd say so far so good. I mean, you come really prepared. So that's step number one for sure. That's awesome. Well, I appreciate the kind words. And I guess another question I want to ask you is what advice would you give uh, to a younger player trying to make it to D1 college hockey? I would say if you want to play D1, you can do it. Um, it's going to take, you know, a lot of work and there's going to be a lot of days that you doubt yourself and like your abilities, but I promise you, if you just keep pushing through that, it's going to work out just as it should. And even if you don't go D1, D3 is still a great option. Just being able to play your sport after high school is a huge blessing. So just be grateful for the journey. Now what should be done to help uh, grow women's hockey in your opinion? Coverage. Mm-hmm. You need more coverage and you know, it's super hard. Like I was having a meeting this morning about social media for the PWHPA and it's, you know, there's like ESPN doesn't give a lot of coverage and like TSN and all these like news networks. And I saw like something on Instagram that said 4% was women's sports. Like that's pathetic. That's really bad. We make up about 50% of the population and we're getting 4%. Um, and so basically changing the narrative, um, I know a lot of males, um, specifically younger boys and people that have only ever played rec teams, they like to comment and say like, nobody wants to watch women's sports, but like, I think it takes a lot of men advocating for us to like help change that narrative. How, what would you tell those, uh, quote unquote boys, I guess, like, uh, how to change their mindset, I guess, like, what would you say to them if you had the, I, I chirp them on TikTok. Yeah, I make fun of them. Um, No, I'm just kidding. I, you know, it's hard to change their mind when you are a female because they just like to regurgitate what they've heard from other people and they don't actually like to look at the facts. Like, you know, with the, what was it? The March Madness top eight or something like that for women's, they got more views and more tweets or something like that than any other men's basketball team that night. So it's like people do watch this stuff and they do want to see it, but it's really hard to even watch games. Like seeing the national championship was hard for me to get. 
for women's hockey. Oh yeah, it's on ESPNU. I had to like buy a package just to get. I had to buy the package too. Yeah, ridiculous. Like, it's like we already have this. Like, why should we have to keep upgrading to pay for it? Like, Mm -hmm. they should be giving us that coverage. Like, we deserve it. And you know, it's it's a slow process, but we we will get there. Definitely, definitely agree with you on that. And I guess like. I guess, like, how would you, like, do you think male athletes are speaking up more in your opinion? Because I see some NHL players speaking up. But I think, like, one thing that I'm not seeing enough is, I guess, like, D1 college male athletes speak up about it. Yeah. Um, You know, it's nice to see, like, the NHL players and the NBA showing support. Um, Because most of the time, like, you will hardly ever see one of those players on the top, top leagues chirping a women's professional athlete because they know how hard we work, but like on top of how hard we work and how hard we train, we're also doing 40 hours of working an action, like another job. So like we do our training in the morning. Like I know the PWHPA here, they have to practice at 5:30 AM and then they do their workouts and then they go to work. And so like to expect us to put the best out there and like not give us that support is, I just think it's messed up. Like mm-hmm. we work just as hard as they do. Definitely agree with you on that. And hopefully I, this platform is a little, I guess, platform to help uh, support you guys and promote you guys. I, at least I'm trying as best I can. Yeah. Well, we appreciate it. <laughs> is there any shout outs you'd like to give to any of your teammates, uh, family members, friends, anyone in particular? Ooh, shout out to Kyla Floresca, my girl back in Arkansas, West Memphis, Arkansas. And then definitely my BU teammates from 2017 to 2019 I like can't thank them enough for helping me love the game again um and then you know just like the people I've met around the world that have played hockey like you know seeing their perspectives seeing how like they play the game huge shout out to all of them and yeah and just like a huge thank you to you like thank you. I appreciate it. we appreciate it <laughs> Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on, Reagan. I really appreciate it so much. Take care, stay safe, and have a great, wonderful rest of your day. It means a lot to me, like I said before, to come on here. Yeah, thank you for having me. Thank you to everyone who listened to today's episode. I really appreciate it, and it means a lot to me. Make sure you follow our social media accounts, and I'll see you guys next time with another great episode. But until then, take care, everyone, and have a great day. Bye. You got a smile that makes the sun rise. You make it shine. But I can see that you don't realize. And that's what made me fall in love.
welcome back.